I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. I think the word that has really been in my spirit this week that I think prevents us from walking in is the word authority. Authority. I'm going to get into the word today, and we're going, to, we're going to center it around this word, and I want to share some things with you today. Today, I want to preach to you the foundation of authority. So if you turn your Bible to 1 John 2, 15 and 17, I know we've been in Matthew 5, 6, um, and that Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to get back to it today and centering around that, but I wanted to read from 1 John because As I said in the first week, we have to understand there are two kingdoms at odds. There is the kingdom of heaven, and then there is the kingdom of this world. And that is not flesh and blood. It's not people. It is the devil's kingdom. We have to understand that. That is kingdom of heaven, kingdom of hell. So in 1 John 2, I'm going to read uh, verses... 15 through 17. I believe this is, and we talked about this before in other contexts, but when you understand the genuine, then you can, you can see the difference in the counterfeit. People who are wired or have a job to determine counterfeit bills understand the genuine dollar bill, $10 bill, $100 bill so well that they can see the differences. So I believe what John is doing today in this, in this passage, he's defining the differences. He's defining what the enemy's foundation is set upon. So it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. That is a very defined, that's this, this is this. So then we have to ask, okay, my love of the world, what does that look like? Because we can make that say a whole lot of things. We could stop right there and I could preach a sermon. If you love the cowboys, you're going to hell because that is of this world. See, we can make it however you want, right? All my Redskins or all my Commanders fans would be like, Amen! All my Eagles fans that still got a team in the playoffs, Amen! Cowboys fans are going to hell. See, we could make that statement, say whatever we want. If you love the world, if you're a Cowboys fan, I love you. I was born and raised Cowboys fan before I found Jesus and the Titans. (laughs) I'm I'm just serious. But we take that scripture, and I've heard it preached, maybe I've even preached it, and we take it and we throw it out and we could just say, 
the world, the world, the world. And we don't even know what the world is. We just want it to be the opposite of what we are. Ooh. Depending on which church you go, denomination you go to, what preacher you go in those denominations. This scripture says a lot of different things because we really don't know what the counterfeit is. It's just not who we are. Ooh, it is quiet in here today. So I'm going to read the rest of this scripture because I want to talk about authority today. Y'all ready? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. This is the foundation of the kingdom of hell. It is where everything, it is the roots of this kingdom. Everything that the enemy lies about, shares with you, promises you, will come out of this. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. How many of you know God did not come to build a kingdom that would only last for three years? Ooh. Jesus came so that he would establish a three-year foundation of a kingdom that would live forevermore. It would not be operating at max efficiency because we're human. And if we all listened and tapped into the Holy Spirit, it would. But it don't. So... Who changes in that equation? It ain't the Holy Spirit. It ain't God. It's got to be us. So the promise is that on that foundation of what Jesus came to do, he made this thing livable, practical, achievable, if we would completely submit authority to the Father. That's what I said earlier. Jesus said, I only do what I hear, see my Father do, and I only say what I hear my Father say ultimate authority in everything he did and said. That's why the kingdom operated at max efficiency while Jesus was on this earth. That's why he didn't have to say, well, I know this is here and I need to do this, but I'm going to have to go pray about this for a while. You remember ever Jesus saying, being an opportunity like, well, I just got to go pray about that. I don't know if I'm supposed to really heal that person. or I, I don't know if I'm supposed to go to this place and speak. Like, ugh, I don't know. There was never any turmoil on what Jesus did. Why? Because he was so tapped in to the kingdom assignment that his yes was his yes and his no was his no. We're going to talk about a little bit of that today. But I want to get into this passage as we begin to dive back into Matthew. Because take out that piece that I just talked about, desires of the flesh, desires of the eye, and pride of life. Okay? I want you to begin to think of those things because here's what you have to know about authority. Until you submit to something, you'll never have authority over it. I'm going to say that again. Until you submit to it or submit something from it or of it, or something you've had or has had authority over you, until you submit that authority over you, you will not get authority over it. Too many people want to declare authority over their life without ever submitting it. Too many people want authority over their life when they cannot submit the authority because you have to take it away from the authority of something else. 
someone else, whatever it may be, maybe even your own. Authority comes from the word author. Have you ever experienced a meet and greet, like a person who wrote a book? Anybody ever been in a meet and greet or somebody who wrote a book? And you listen to everything they said. Why? Because they were the authority on what they wrote, what they experienced. I love setting in a, a meet and greet or something with someone who wrote an autobiography. Because I can read their story and I can put myself in their situations and I can kind of think, mm, yeah, I, I can remember. You know, this is probably what they were going through. Why? Because I'm basing it on my lens. I'm basing on my experiences, so then I try to twist their story to meet mine, but then when you sit in the presence of that person for the first time and you hear them begin to tell the story of where this came from, it's always, always so much richer and deeper than you could imagine because it feels like you're sitting with them in that moment when they begin to express it. That's why I always love to hear, if I hear an audible book, I want the author who wrote it to read it. Because there is something different when somebody's reading that story. You can hear their heart literally jump off the page. You feel like you were there with them in that moment. Why? Because they are the authority. Nobody else is the authority on that moment. They were there. So the authority piece of our life really in limitation comes to when we decide we're not the authority or we're not the author. Because when you meet Jesus for the first time, guess what? For the most part, you are the author of your life. Maybe other people were. That happens too. Other people write our stories or limit the story we are able to tell because of what they do to us. And we're not able to let go of that. So we've given the power and authority. We've been ghostwritten, if you will, in life. So then when we meet God for the first time, when Jesus really becomes real to us, he said, I have a better way to write your story. I want to begin to share your testimony. As you walk through, we're going to undo. We're going to begin to give context in the things that were done to you, the broken areas of your life, because I am the authority over your life. Yesterday, today, and forever. If you'll let me tell the story, it'll be that much better. Y'all with me? Because I want to take you back, because in order to understand that Jesus has to be the ultimate authority, we have to realize he's already walked through the things we're going to walk through. You're not submitting in an area that he's not already submitted. You're not trusting in an area that he has not already trusted. Well, he's, he was God, and he's just going to do it better than I did it. That's not how Jesus came to do it. I had somebody in our life group ask this week, why did Jesus have to die the death he did? Why did he have to go through the things he did? Because he wanted you to know you could do it without having to pay the price. He wanted to go through struggles like you had to go through. He wanted to be called names like you're going to be called. He wanted to be ostracized by the people who should know him and love him but could not. He wanted to walk your shoes, your steps before you ever had to. Because when you realize that, then it's easier to submit in the way he did. Let's talk about it. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we find the temptation of Christ. Excuse me, not Matthew. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I, I turned to the wrong book. 
So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We see this right after he was baptized, after the Father comes and said, this is my son with whom I well pleased, right after he's baptized by John the Baptist. This is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. This is a hard, like, ugh. It's hard to imagine, like, once you've realized what he's going through, that the Spirit led him there. But there was purpose in the leading. This is that Father leading him moment. That doing what the Father said, go out to the wilderness. And you get out there and something's waiting for you, right? So it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In other words, this was already established before Jesus got there. To be means that the Spirit knew what was out there waiting on him. Okay? Winners to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. So if it wasn't bad enough that temptation was waiting for him, then the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to empty you out. I want you hungry. What did we just talk about in the Beatitudes a couple of weeks ago? If you come to me full, you're not going to find me. If you come to me hungry, that's when you receive me. If you've arrived, if you know, if you're rich, if you're satisfied, when you come to look for Jesus, you're never going to access the full power and capability of, of who he is. He can't offer, invite us into that without demonstrating. That's what he's doing. In the ultimate expression of that conversation, that, mis that message he preaches a chapter later in the Beatitudes, this is personal lived experience of Jesus. For 40 days he fasted. I love this statement. So simple. After 40 days, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay? We talked about the posture of receiving him, right? He's the same way. I got to get to where you're going to be. I want you to know I've been right where you are. I've shared the moments. I've been there. You can trust me. He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, see, he always comes when you're hungry. He comes when you're down on your luck. He comes when you don't have an answer. What he didn't know was the answer that lied inside him. Because if you're tapped into the source, just what I said earlier about your hallelujah, if you're tapped into the source, the situation, the circumstance doesn't remove your hallelujah. It doesn't remove the truth that's in you. That's why you need to be in the word when you're going through good times. That's why you need to listen to worship music when everything's good in your life. Because you need to be ready when you're tempted. You need to be ready when you're hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The desires of the flesh. This is the first temptation. The desires of the flesh. I know it seems like it's inside you when you want that cheeseburger. <laughs> be the best amen I get all day. Amen to that. This is why fasting is so important. That we don't talk about fasting enough in the church. We talk about prayer, but fasting, ugh, that is tough, right? Fasting is the hardest thing to understand. You know why? There ain't nothing fast about it. Anybody done a long fast? Three, four, five days, like, whew, good Lord, are you kidding me? Like these people that do like water fast for like a week, I'm like, 
I know I can live on that cheeseburger I had a week ago, but man, I'd like another one right now. And there's a lot of people like, well, I ain't got to fast to food. I can fast to social media. See, we got a lot of things we can fast from today, right? Why is fasting from food so important? It is the ultimate thing that your flesh needs. Now, you need it, but what do you need more than food? What do you have to have a lot sooner than you have to have food? Water. So what he's saying is, Yes, I know what you need, but there's sometimes you got to release what you think you need. Or your body was going to respond a lot sooner. And if you let go of that moment, if you trust me in that space, then it's the ultimate submission to my authority. And there's been times, man, when I fasted some stuff, there's been times we fasted at our old church and we do like the 40-day Daniels fast, right? And we get that almost like badge of honor. I did 40 days and I only ate beans and rice. You know what we spent that whole 40 days doing? What recipe are you using? We're passing around Daniel's fast recipes like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. What did you eat yesterday? What can I eat? You know what Daniel didn't do when he was going through the Daniel fast? Give two hoots about what he was going to eat. He just ate what God told him to eat. And he didn't what God told him not to. If we did a Daniel fast tomorrow, you know how many of you would be in the store today like with the, with the Google what can I eat? What can I eat? We're going to eat so much rice and beans, we're not going to be hungry at all. And God's like, you missed it. Desires of the flesh. That's the simplistic version, but what we realize is it is in everything around us. It is what the enemy caters to us all the time. What do you need? But it ain't what you need, it's what you want. And And I'm going to say this, I'm going to step on my own toes. I need those new shoes. (laughs) No, you don't. But I would look good in them. You ladies know what I'm talking about. I need that new dress. I heard a joke one time. The woman went out, she came back with a dress. And I think I've told this before, but if you've heard it, just laugh along with me and make me feel good. Woman comes back, she bought this dress, and her husband's like, what did you buy that dress for? Well, the devil made me do it. He said, you need to learn to tell the devil to get behind you. He, she said, I did, but he said it looked good back there too. <laughs> I'm telling you, the devil's got you surrounded. When he wants to get something and tell you you look good in it, he's going to lie to you 360 degrees. But the desires of your flesh. But what does Jesus say in that moment? You can't come to me with that. Man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, I don't care what my flesh is screaming for. My heart is connected to something bigger. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God, connection. I'm listening. So I don't hear my flesh because I hear my father. That's the authority. It's not telling me what I want. I'm not writing my story based on what I don't have because that's where the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh comes in. It's based off what you don't have. 
But it's this moment, what he's saying is, it ain't matter what you don't have, it's about the access you do have. If you're listening to the right author, if you're given the authority and you're submitting your flesh, it will never be limited on what's in your hands. It'll be where you're connected in your heart. That's the purpose of that Holy Spirit, that alignment, that connection piece, so you can maintain the downloads. The next one. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. Now we're going to skip to the third one, the pride of life. He's attacking him in his identity of who he is. Oh, if you're the son of God, then this temple is yours. I'm going to take you up to your temple, the very one that you set upon. In that temple, set the Ark of the Covenant. We heard our friend uh, Chris Mitchell last night preached on the power of where we are called to sit or where he's called to sit in our life. And then that was the covenant. They took the Ten Commandments, the initial covenant, the signed marriage contract with man that God gave to, Abra, or gave to Moses. In that, that was in the Ark of the Covenant. And then inside on that covenant, there was a lid with two angels and a seat where the Spirit of God sat. And then now we see in the New Testament, we have been called to be a temple. So we have now become the seat of God. That's big, isn't it? You are not God, but you've become the dwelling place for him. Not just talking to me like, oh, the pastor is a dwelling place for God. No, if you have submitted your life, if you have declared with your mouth that he is Lord and you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, that you will be saved, Bible says if you repent and are baptized, you will receive gift of the Holy Spirit. So you have been given access to it. What is that? What does it look like? You have become the temple, the seat where the Holy Spirit wants to sit. Ooh, that puts a whole lot of things on it, right? If God the Father is sitting in me, then I have to understand there's authority that comes with that. So Jesus, taken to the place where the Spirit of God sits and says, yeah, you could just jump off here, right? Look at all that you've attained. If you've attained this, is this if you're who you say you are, then so be it. See, that pride of life creeps in for all of us. We've got to be really careful. It happens in ministry as well as anything out there. We get good at, at doing things, at doing life. There's been times even me, I guarantee you, anybody that's done ministry in any capacity, you preach a sermon or you do something and like somebody comes in, whoo, that was so good. And you're, before you know it, real quick, the enemy's going to creep in like, man, yeah, you did that. All that preparation time you got, you spent so many hours in reading and studying and just listening. Oh, you're so good. God loves you. 
That don't sound like the enemy, does it? Well, why would he tell me that? Because he is shifty. Pride of life is the one that's going to take us out if nothing else does. Because in everything we do, even for the glory of God, the enemy's going to try to shift it around for you. Two, two kingdoms. What's your purpose? Is it to glorify God or is it to glorify you? In this statement right here, that's what he's trying to offer him. It's what he tries to offer us in so many good things. That's where the enemy creeps in so many times in good things we're doing in the right heart in that moment, but he tries to shift it. He tries for you to take credit. He tries, I believe this is the ultimate sin that we can't be redeemed from, blasphemy. Blasphemy, we go all over the place and people have said everything, but if you say GD, that's blasphemous. Ugh, that's not blasphemy. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Does that mean one Ten Commandments get, you can't ever get over, but the other nine you can? No, that's broken. Blasphemy, it doesn't say, bla it says blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, when you experience something that's bigger than you, you operate in a space that you didn't have control of, you see God do and undo some things you know you weren't capable of, and then all of a sudden you say, I don't know that I believe in God. You know what you just said? You said that you're the one that did it. You better never tell God that you're the one that did something he did. That's the ultimate foundation of the kingdom of hell. Pride of life will put you in a place. All these people that are walking away from the faith, I pray to God they really never experience God for who he was. I pray that's just ignorance and they were just in church and kind of hanging out for a good time and could play the guitar or worship and sing real good, but really never had an experience. Because the moment you experience God in a way that he only he can do, and you begin to tell him, mm, I don't know that I believe in you anymore, watch out. You don't want to sign that check. So Jesus comes right back at him and says, um, Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put your Lord your God to the test. In other words, I know who I am. I don't need to prove it to you. There's a, an authority on me that I don't need you to validate because it's bigger than this moment. It's bigger than me and there ain't nothing prideful about it in me. God pushing this little broken old me in here to glorify him. That's what it's about. And then the third one, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. In other words, all that you can see. These things can get us into trouble. Even when we don't respond to feelings and emotions of what's here, it's what we see. It's what we have access to. I think this is the last thing and the hardest part for us to submit authority to because sometimes when we meet him, we don't stop going where we went. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. But they've always seen it. I got Jesus now. I'm going to see it differently. Not if you didn't submit it to him. Because there's some things in my life that I used to go to yeah, if I went to him now, I'd see it differently. But you know what he told me to do? Stop looking at it. Stop looking at it. Stop putting yourself in a situation where you're going to see something you don't need to see. 
what you can see. I want to connect real quick to where we've been talking about in in Matthew 5, we're seeing the Beatitudes, and, we, and he's talking about, he talks about three different areas. He talks about anger. See, anger, I believe, and he talks about murder. And he says, if you have anger in your heart, you might as well commit murder. I believe he's responding to the desires of the flesh, your feelings, your emotion. If you're driven by it, if that's given authority in your life, if, well, I control it. Like, I'm, I get angry, but I ain't trying to kill nobody. We talked about this a little bit last week. But if you don't submit that anger to him, then he can't undo the seeds of that. He can't pull the roots of that anger up. He can't get to the heart of maybe that bitterness that is there or what somebody else has done to you that's caused you to react and respond in anger every time. You've got to release that. That's the ultimate submission to the authority that I don't let my feelings drive me and dictate who I am and what I do. The second one, adultery. He talks about lust. If you have lust, this is what you see, what you're looking at. Because what he says in there is everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, I'm looking, but I have no desire to touch it. I ain't trying anything about desires of flesh. I, ain't trying, I just wanted to look at it. Desires of your eyes, what you see, is just as damaging as the desires of your flesh. If you're looking, and I heard somebody say one time, well, when I look, I just say, man, I'm just thankful that God's allowing her to go to the gym and God bless her. (laughs) You can say what you want. But what he's saying is if you're looking, you need to know the intent of why you're looking. Why are you looking there? I don't need to look at any woman. Why? Because I got one woman I need to look at. It's an area I've struggled in. I'll be honest with you. It's not something we talked about in church growing up. We just said, if you do it, you're going to hell. And you know what? The first time I could, I started looking everywhere. One of the things we don't talk about in church a lot is pornography. You know, pornography started out as lust of the eyes, desires of the eyes, and then it became and fed a desire of the flesh in most men. They began to seek out beauty, but it drove them to a place that began to seek it and want more and just the ugliness of what that has become. The enemy crept in with the desires of the eyes and then tapped into the desires of the flesh oh, yeah, you're not getting that, but let's look at this. And it has changed everything. It's changed how men see women. It's changed men's relationship with their wife. Intimacy is a whole different ballgame now because they're pursuing what the world has told them it's supposed to look like and feel like. And the moment you're not getting it as good or as often, Just preaching real this morning. I know we don't talk about this in church. Can we get back to the scripture, pastor? We need to know what the foundation of the earth is built upon, what the enemy has established, and why when we respond to those things, it is a void in our life that we've not submitted to God. Don't expect a healthy marriage if you haven't submitted yourself to him. And the last one is divorce, talking about marriage. 
I believe this is speaking to what we've got, what we've obtained, and I have control or authority over it. What he's speaking to is men in divorce, because back then women really didn't have a say in divorce. Men could just divorce a woman, and then she was without because she lost her connection to her father. Women who were divorced did not go back to daddy with the same way they left. There was shame because they weren't the wife that they were supposed to be. Who determined that? The husband. That's why he's talking to husbands in this place. The control that you think you have over that woman's life, the think you think you've earned, the pride of your life. Look what I'll have. I can take and give as I want. I'll share this story with you real quick. I have a lot of notes and I'm not getting a half of them. That's okay. God is, I believe, tugging it and connecting with hearts. I want to share this story that, that really jumped out at me. Matthew 9, 8, 9, 1 through 8. It's the physical connection that I believe what God's trying to demonstrate to us. Many of us know this story, and I'd been talking around it for a lot of time and a lot of conversations here lately. And as I was thinking about it this morning, he took me and I finally stopped and read. You ever thought about something and you talk about it, but you don't get in here and read about it. When you read, it's like, oh my goodness, that was so much better than I remembered. But it was the exact time. This morning, Matthew 9, 1 and 8 says, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. There's power in that moment because Jesus went back to the place in his own city where he hadn't been able to do anything. We find it in scripture where he left his hometown because they couldn't receive him. They couldn't receive his authority. They couldn't receive who he was. But in this space, he goes back to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. See, the paralytic didn't bring himself. Somebody that heard about Jesus was submitting his physical inabilities to the one who could fix them. There was a submission in this moment. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Ugh. This is not what we brought him here for. And here we see the religious elite. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blasphemy. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home when the crowd saw it. They were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Let me share with you a little bit. First, what we find is in authority. First, Jesus had to take authority over the physical, what we can see, what we'll give to him. They knew he was healer. They'd heard the stories. Well, if he's a healer, I have somebody who wants to be healed, I'll give you the physical. I think so many times in our life, we're only willing to submit to God what other people can see. Lord, you can be Lord of my Facebook page. You can be Lord of my good times. You can be Lord of my pocketbook. You can be Lord of what everybody else can see because I need that to be on point. You can be Lord of my Sunday morning. 
but it's our secret places that we don't allow him to have authority. So Jesus said, okay, I'll take it. I'll take the physical. I'll take what you can see. I'm going to do something right here in this moment, which will open you up to something bigger. Because I'd love for you just believe me when I say his sins are forgiven. Everybody else realizes, oh, man, if he forgive his sins, he forgive my sins. Nope. Everybody else around is like, that's not what we asked for. We just want you to heal him. I thought about this. You remember the woman they brought to him, the adulteress? I'm sorry, I'm going over time this morning, but I, I want you to hear this. You remember the adulteress when they brought him to him? There was something so powerful that when he knelt down and began to ride in the sand, what he was declaring is, I am going to relieve her sins. What if every one of those people had dropped their stone and stayed there? Then the moment he said, go and sin no more, every one of them would have been free of their sins. But they couldn't let go of their sins. They could only let go of their rocks. The only person who could let go of everything was the woman who had nothing to hold. The paralyzed was brought to him, had nothing to give, had lost control, had lost authority over his body. Jesus said, I'm going to help you have control of your body. But bigger than that, you got to let me control your insides, your lust of the flesh, your lust of the eyes, the pride of the life. Because otherwise, the moment I release you from this, you can go tell everybody, look what I can do now. Nope, you didn't know there's something bigger. If I can get your heart right, if I can establish a foundation of kingdom in you, when I release you from the bond of what your body has become, you'll give me authority in everything else. Adulterous. I'm thankful they brought you here half naked, messed up, caught in the act. But I could care less about how you got here. I'm just thankful you're, for you're here. And you know what? I'm going to release you from everything, but you got to let go of your sins. I wish everybody else would have stayed, but they didn't. So it's between me and you. I wish the scribes would get it, but I know they're not. So I have one person to talk to. So Jesus took authority over the physical body and healed him. Then he declared authority over what they couldn't see in the sin. And in that moment, gave authority back to the man of his body, the faculties that he had never had the ability to control. See, when you submit your authority to him, you receive authority in return. But you realize it's not your own authority. When we go back and we hear the stories and we read the Old Testament, the priest, there was an authority that came with the priest, but a priest only has authority by the God they serve. If you ain't serving him, you have no authority. If you're not giving him access in your life, you don't have authority. The word authority comes from this word in the Greek, exousia. It means the power to act. But it stems from two root words that mean out from and to be. Or being as a right or empowerment or authorization. In this very intimate moment, in the expression of what happened in Jesus in the temptation... He said, the authority becomes of 
who you are through the Father. And the activation becomes when you realize that's who you are. That authority transition because I'm not here. The beautiful, most beautiful, you can play some music. The most beautiful picture of this, I think, as I begin to look, was the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son that had given everything away. He said, give me what I deserve. Give me my stuff. Give me the, I'm going to chase the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Give me my money, Father. I don't need you anymore. Just give me what's mine. And then he went out and began to life that, live a life that was crazy, exhausted all of his money, gave everything away, got to the lowest of lows and realized everything he looked for couldn't satisfy him. And he said, if I can just go back to my daddy's house and submit to his authority, I'll be okay being a servant or a slave. I don't need the access I want to have. I'm okay with being nothing because nothing there is way better than something here. Building a life on the foundation of the kingdom of hell will only get me to a place where I don't have. What little bit I have there is better than everything here. But the beauty is when he gets back and he starts apologizing to all that things, the father says, get him a robe, get him a ring, get him shoes, and kill the fatted calf. In other words, when you stop chasing the lust of the flesh, the lust of what you see, and the pride of your life, I will fill them in for you. A robe represents royalty. It represents who you're under. It carried the emblem of the father. When you wore that and you walked into a room, they knew who your daddy was. Give him a ring. What was the ring used for? It had the insignia of the family. It was used to seal and mark things. If you were going to send a letter to somebody, you'd put the wax and you would seal it with the ring. Why? Because that ring meant it was sent by your daddy, not you, by your father. He said, give them shoes. You realize in that day and time, most servants and slaves didn't wear shoes. Yeah, they weren't from Arkansas. They just weren't given shoes. Then he said, kill the fattest calf. Kill the best one. Because he's worth it. I want to feed him in a way he's not ate in a long time. I want to restore authority because he's come back underneath me. I want to give him the authority to go in my name. That's what that ultimate sign of that ring was. You're not out there doing it under your own ability, under your own authority, under your own power. You are submitting to the authority of the Father. Therefore, you're doing things in my name. What did Jesus say? Right before he left this earth, there are those who will come after me who will do things greater than me in my name. In other words, I don't care what you did. I need to reestablish who you are. The foundation of the kingdom, the authority in the kingdom is that you have a father who wants to bring you back into sonship, who wants to bring you back into daughterhood, who wants to establish your identity in him so that you can go in his name and reveal the love of the father to someone who doesn't know it. 
I'm going to pray this prayer over you today. We find David back in 1 Chronicles as he's about to build, and actually he's not about to build because he messed it up. The end of 1 Chronicles, we find David in the temple. They brought in all the supplies to the temple. Gold, diamonds, all the things. They brought it in. David's not going to build it because God told him, nope, you messed up with Bathsheba, all that. You're not going to build the temple, but your son will. We could have found David just ho-humming, ooh, why can't I build the temple? Why wasn't that? Because he knew what he did. God said, I'm not going to do it in your name or in yourself. I'm going to do it in your name. Because when you align yourself, when you realign, when you reconcile, we talked about that first week, when you reconcile to me, I can restore your bloodline. I can restore your trajectory. I can restore your purpose. So David, in this place of gathering all this stuff for his son and getting out of the way, he says this prayer, which I think has so much power It says, therefore, David, bless the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. I think this is where we get, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. You have to see that in the New Testament, when you've been called to be a temple, all the things that were made were given to be a temple were given and are of God. It's you. You are given and of God. You are to be a temple, a change agent. See, we talk about the temple and we think about the temple that was built, but when they moved the Ark of the Covenant, that was the true temple. When they moved it, the Spirit of God moved with it. We've seen mobile Spirit of God before we ever got to the New Testament. We've seen what it can do in homes of non-believers because there was a time when the children of Israel messed it up and it ended up in a house of somebody else. What happened? That house was blessed because it was in it.
We'll get to it in a couple of weeks, but the scripture says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I know what the enemy's going to offer you, but it pales in comparison to who I am. It pales in comparison to who I've called you to be. And it will always distract you from the purpose I called you with. Are you willing to submit all of your life, even the secret areas today, to the best author ever known? Are you willing to give him authority in areas you've held back from him? Or are you satisfied with you telling your own story? The enemy determining what you are, where you go. Because it's the moment you release it to him. Your feelings. Your hopes. Your accomplishments. When you let it all go in his hands and you begin to walk the way Jesus walks, you begin to operate in the kingdom calling because you position yourself to do what the Father does, to love the way the Father loves, to speak over people the way the Father speaks, to see people the way the Father sees. That's the call. It's when we seek him, when we turn over submission and authority to every area in our life, he finally becomes Lord to us. Father, we thank you today for this word. Thank you for the challenge that you constantly give us in our life, the invitation to grow. Father, as we submit things today in repentance, as we spend this week in time of prayer and listening to you, Father, we declare authority in these areas as we submit them, knowing that the healing and restoration will come. Father, I'm thankful that you're using us, a group of people with multiple journeys to get here, multiple testimonies, multiple places of brokenness as vessels to reveal you to those in need. Continue to open our eyes, our ears, and our heart to see you, hear you like never before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.